Welcome to It's a Good Life, a podcast dedicated to helping you live your best one. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you, Brian Buffini, and welcome to It's a Good Life. I'm your host until they kick me off of here, which could happen any day the way things are going these days. I have a great little message for you today I think you're going to enjoy. I hope you think it's great. It's a phrase my friend Joe Nego and I, Joe and I have been friends for almost 30 years, and we were realtors together and then presenters together, been uh, just great friends for a long time. And we always used to have a phrase, whenever things got heightened and out of control or whatever else, we just have, save the drama for your mama. Drama has become part and parcel of our culture today, our communication style today, and all the dynamics of social media and the media itself now. I mean, the mainstream media news outlets are clickbait themselves. So everything's drama. And I want to talk about it and pull it apart. And my goal is to try to bring a little bit of insight to things that can have a benefit to you. You know, if you're dealing with drama all the time, you're in a heightened state of fight or flight. You're in a heightened state of anxiety. You're in a heightened state of adrenaline. And it's highs and lows. You know, the adrenaline is the fight or flight. And then when it drops off, and I have great experience with this as a presenter and a performer doing thousands of seminars, you get jacked up and fired up. And uh, the older you get, and you've been doing that for years and years and years, I found it took me longer and longer to recover from doing events because when the adrenaline wears off, something else replaces it. And so that's how many of us are living our lives right now. And I'm going to continue to be bringing in experts and insight and interviews on people dealing with anxiety and depression and other things that many, many people are dealing with today. And again, this is the good life, right? The good life is supposed to make you feel better at the end of the program than when you started. But the good life, like I've been saying, you know, inside the infinite love of God, there's a place for suffering. There's setbacks, difficulties, challenges we're facing all the time. And we seem like we're trying to live in a world without that. I just saw the Transportation Secretary of the United States made a speech here about a week ago, and he said his goal was to have zero traffic deaths in the United States. Just think about that. Like, Okay, it's a noble goal and completely useless. The only way there will ever be zero traffic deaths is if there's zero cars. And by the way, if there's bicycles, there'll be plenty of deaths too. You know, are we trying to really do that? Is that where we're trying to get to, where life has no pain, no difficulty, no risk? I heard someone the other day, a prominent person say, he doesn't feel comfortable circulating in society till there's zero COVID out in the marketplace. And it's like, you know, if we're going to be that, if we're going to start buying into that type of false narrative, like it's a good means things aren't always great. There's a gratitude, there's an upside, there's a position to have that things are going to get better. I don't understand, but it's going to work out. But the last part of it is life. Like that person waiting for zero COVID is not going to live their life. The person who's waiting for zero traffic deaths is not going to live their life. I came to America, it was the land of the free and the home of the brave. We've got to be in the game, and it's a good life, and life is for living, and there's ups and downs and ins and outs, but right now what there is is there's too much drama, and from now on, the little phrase I want you to say is save the drama for your mama, okay? It's a fun way to basically say, I'm not going to participate in this. Someone's got this juicy piece of gossip, save the drama for your mama. Someone's been watching too much cable news, and they've been drowning themselves in it. Save the drama for your mama. It's a nice way, it's a fun way to change the subject and say, I don't want to participate in that. And that's what it is. It's a choice. The truth of the matter is drama is exciting. It is fun. 
it's why a lot of us watch television. Drama, by its very definition, is an exciting, emotional, or unexpected series of events or circumstances. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want excitement? Who doesn't want their emotions to be moved? Unexpected series of events. You know, it's a drama. Some of your favorite television programs and movies have been dramas. And they've highs and lows and unexpected things. And so because of that, I'm actually going to go down the thespian route here and go into the four types of drama. And I'm going to mention this from a standpoint of a play or a movie or a novel or whatever. And then we'll see how it translates into our life, right? There's four types of drama. Tragedy, comedy, tragic comedy, and then my favorite, melodrama. So a tragedy is a type of drama in which the protagonist or the hero is brought down by his or her flaws, right? Whether it's murder or death or insanity, pain, among the most common ideas in tragedy, main characters usually have some kind of weakness or defect that causes their downfall. Well, let's see. Why would that be connected for all of us? Well, maybe, maybe you people have a flaw. You know me, Mr. Goodlife, I have no flaws. Talk to my wife, talk to my staff, talk to anyone who's ever driven by me in a car. So we all have flaws. So guess what? We're able to engage in a tragedy, know that we have flaws, and in the back of our mind, we're just hoping our flaws are not fatal. We're hoping our flaws don't undo the plot. And we watch a movie or a show or a play, read a book, and you often see that fatal flaw shows up over and over and over again. The person can't escape it. Comedy, right? Comedy is a type of drama that aims to make the audience laugh. There it is. Now, by the way, remember when we used to be able to laugh at stuff? And you could actually have fun and laugh? You know, I remember growing up in Ireland where you could just laugh at everything and anything under the sun. And my last trip home, I was interested to see how that had already started to change a little bit in dear old Dublin and sitting in McDade's having a pint and listening to people clip their speech and so on and so forth. Its tone is light and mostly has a happy ending. That's what comedies are about. The classic conception of comedy came from the ancient Greek theater where comedy first emerged as a form of drama, right? So comedy comes out of drama, which is why all good comedy has its basis in some form of truth. Some form of truth, right? And then it gets kind of exaggerated, right? And that's where the negotiation is nowadays between what's humorous and what's tearing somebody down. Then there's tragic comedy. Now, tragic comedy is a special kind of drama that combines the features of tragedy and comedy, right? Sounds pretty basic. This means that such a play might be sad, but might have a happy ending, or it might be serious with some elements of humor emerging throughout the whole play, right? And so you could definitely say life is some tragic comedy. But the last one I really want to focus on, because the last one is where I think culturally, this is where Save the Drama for Your Mama Needs to Live. Melodrama is the last of the four types of drama. It's a kind of drama in which everything is hyperbolized, which means exaggerated for effect. Usually themes depicted in melodramas are simple and without any unpredictable plot twists. And, you know, I got to say this. I read that definition of melodrama and I go, well, if that doesn't explain our world today, it's a type of drama. It's all about hyperbole. Everything is hyperbole now. Two sides screaming at one another. Someone wants to make a point about climate change. Miami's going to be underwater in 10 years. That statement was said six years ago. It's hyperbole. It's drama. It's exaggeration for effect. The problem is some of these people are supposed to be serious politicians or leaders or whatever else. 
And I can give you left, right, up one side and down the other of how hyperbole is used, especially in politics because it grabs the attention, especially with the clickbait because it grabs people's attention. And now especially in media. We are living in melodramatic times. You have to understand, you know, there was an old phrase, like someone at home would tell a great story. And as a bit of a storyteller myself, you know, I come from a long tradition of what they call in Ireland the Shanachie. And every town had a Shanachie, which you'd go into the pub and there'd be musicians playing music like the David Lallys of the world. You'd have a barman, you'd have people connecting, and then you'd have a Shanachie, because this is before TVs, and the Shanachie was a storyteller. And that's where the ancient stories that were always told in Ireland from Irish myths and legends, and long before people were writing them down, they were told. And I love the Shanachies, and I, I come from a long line of Shanachies. And the Irishman who's ever asked, is that story true, will say a couple of things like, well, it could have been. <laughs> it could have been. And it might be the truest story in the world, but they say, well, it could have been. Or they'll say, well, it depends who's telling the story. The world we live in today is melodramatic. So what you should do is when you hear something, say, not only save the drama for your mama, but there's an old song, it ain't necessarily so. Oh, Miami's going to be underwater in 10 years. Okay, there might be some challenges we need to address with the climate, but it doesn't mean that Miami's going to be underwater in 10 years, okay? What happens is if we react to the melodrama, I wonder how many people living in Miami when that speech came down were starting to freak out or they went to bed at night going, oh my God. Or they started thinking about their real estate investments. I can give you the other side, right? So that's a political one. I had a good friend of mine. He owned a home in La Jolla Shores, California on the ocean. Today, that house would be $20, $25 million. But back in the early 80s, he heard Pat Robertson, the preacher, say the world was going to end by 1994. He'd figured it out somehow. And the world was going to end by 1994. So this guy, because he owed a little bit of debt on this house, sold that house and moved out to Rancho Bernardo, where he bought a house that might be worth a little bit more than he paid for it then. But he walked away from where he wanted to live and how he wanted to live because he didn't want to have any kind of debt somehow when the world ended. Save the drama for your mama. What happens is it affects our minds. What happens is it affects our peace of mind. Fear grows, anxiety builds, and next thing you know, we're making poor decisions. So here's a couple of thoughts for you today. The first major point I have came from my Serbian contractor, Momo Churchik. And Momo Churchik is the great example of It's a Good Life. I met Mo in 1999. He barely could speak English at the time. And he was a handyman. And I helped Mo get his general contractor's license. I hit it off with him because I'm a tradesman at heart. And this guy was an immigrant and a tradesman who wanted to make his way in the world. And I've been Mo's biggest fan ever since. He's probably done over 40 construction jobs with me. I've invested with him. And today he's a multi-millionaire, apartment-owning, fantastic businessman who spends half his year in Serbia and half his year in San Diego. And life is good. And we get together and we have coffee and we just talk. He's Mo's a guy. We always have business stuff going on, but we'll get together just to have a coffee. Now, I drink tea, but, he, but he drink, he's a coffee drinker. And Mo said to me the other day, he goes, Brian, Brian, I have to tell you, the whole freaking world is reality TV now. The whole world. It used to be it was on the channel, but now the whole world is reality TV. I go to Home Depot, it's reality TV. Everything is reality TV. And I started thinking about it through that lens. And I thought, you know, that's kind of the way cultures work. You know, something starts out as fiction and then it starts to morph into fact. Do you guys know when reality TV started? It was when Friends, the uh, cast of Friends went on strike. 
And this was, I know the year because it was 1994, and I'll tell you why in a second. And I'll tell you the day that reality TV began, because it was the day my daughter was born. And you go, nah, that sounds self-important, Brian. You're saying reality TV started because your daughter was born? Nope. It was because friends went on strike, and they were striking at the time for a million dollars per actor per episode. And basically, it put NBC in a spot where, oh my gosh, we have this huge, at the time, huge money, huge commitment for a season of this number one show. They have us over a barrel. We need all these actors. The show's nothing without them. And what happened is they really pressed their power and maxed out the compensation at that time. Well, June 17th, 1994, Beverly's wheeling back into the recovery room after giving birth to our daughter, Anna. I'm wheeling Anna in her little bassinet. And we get in and Bev goes, well, let's turn on the TV. And Beverly's not much of a TV watcher, but you know, she just gave birth. So we turn on the TV. And the reason why that moment is stuck in our mind is they go, ladies and gentlemen, right as we turn on the TV, we break into today's programming. There is a white Ford Bronco on the 405 freeway. And most people can tell you where and when they were when OJ Simpson went on the run. Most of them don't know the date and the time. I do, because my daughter was born and we just went back into the suite. That was the day reality TV, because what happened was the ratings for the OJ Simpson trial went through the roof. And what the TV companies figured out, because they're for-profit businesses, just like the social media is for-profit businesses, just like the news networks that you all watch, that I watch, are for-profit businesses. CNN right now is going through hell on wheels. They're trying to figure out what way they're going to present the news because their ratings are in a catastrophic fall, which means their revenue is catastrophic fall. And how they're going to present the news is going to be dictated in order to raise their ratings to sell more ads. Not what's the truth of a story. Those days are gone. And it's okay. That's a business. They have the right to make a profit. I'm a capitalist. Reality TV began with O.J. Simpson. And they saw massive ratings without having to pay anybody. And all of a sudden, friends, the entire cast, a million dollars per actor per episode versus O.J. Simpson for free. And four and five times the number of people are tuning into that as opposed to tuning in to a friend's TV show. And the executives at the TV stations went, aha! And so out of that came a very smart man who put a show on the TV that's still on the TV today called Survivor. So inspired by, hey, can we get people who don't get paid to go through an experience together that looks real, that will build some drama into it to do that? So that's when it was born. Now, the thing about it is, Reality TV, there's not a single thing about reality TV that's real. Now, this is important. Everybody knows that, but you kind of don't. Like, it's kind of like, is wrestling real? You know, people who are into wrestling, if you ever see WrestleMania, the fans, let me tell you, that you better not tell them it's fake. These fellas are jumping around the ring, and these gals are beating each other, and they're doing this and that and the other. But it's a choreographed, structured, stated thing, and so on and so forth. But you better not tell the audience that. And that's the same for reality. There's a reason we don't really want to know it's fake. And I know what I'm talking about. And let me say this. I was on the golf course with my dad, my brother, and my friend Bruce Jenner, Caitlin now. But Bruce Jenner and I and my dad and my brother are on the golf course together. And we're playing at Sherwood Country Club up in L.A. The day he got the phone call for keeping up with the Kardashians. The producer had called him and said, we've laid it all out. We have this whole thing. This is what we can do. And we're ready to start. 
And we spent the rest of the golf round and Bruce telling us about keeping up with the Kardashians and this and that and the other and what he was going to do and how it was going to work. And he was kind of cool to the idea, but he was kind of really excited about being a celebrity again. And we got into the lounge afterwards and we're having a pint. And my dad is not a guy to speak up. He's a very quiet man. And very rarely in my life has he ever offered me advice. Like I could count on one hand. And out of nowhere, Dermot and I were kind of shocked. But our dad speaks up and starts to give advice to Bruce Jenner. And he said, Bruce, if you value your family, you won't do it. And we were staggered. But not only does dad not offer advice, he never sticks his nose into somebody else's business. And someone like Bruce Jenner, who, you know, was this big star and greatest athlete in the world and a host of Good Morning America and all this stuff. But my dad gave him the advice because my dad was totally committed to his family. And Bruce kind of brushed it off and brushed it off and so on and so forth. I was there the day that reality show started that became Keeping Up With The Kardashians. I will tell you that the same producers came to me to do a show about my family, but I heeded my own advice. These guys pursued me for eight months. The reason I engaged in conversations with them is not because I ever intended to do it, but I'm a curious businessman. I want to know the model. And the model was, they don't pay the actors for three years. They write the scripts. They create the drama. They take little things that exist in a family or a dynamic and they exaggerate them for effect. They create conflict. They create this and they go do it. And that's the dynamic. It's just how it works. A friend of mine was on tiny houses and um, turns out she lived in a big house, but they were showing her around Hawaii and tiny paradise. There's nothing real about reality TV. So why is it that people watch? Well, it's a chance to escape right? From your own life. You live vicariously through the people. You know, the Kardashians, beautiful looking women, very fashionable, great design, great makeup and hair. They were innovative people in regards to looks and posing and all that type of stuff. They led to what became the TikTok world. So you get to live vicariously through them. And that's what happens. But the other reason that reality TV is kind of dangerous is that's an opportunity to check out from our own lives. And you say, hey, compared to those people, my family's not so bad. Theirs is orchestrated drama for effect. It's intentionally got hyperbole built into it. Now, I will tell you that most scenarios with these families or these relationships, they ended up totally crashing and burning. There's very few who have survived it. I would say the Duck Dynasty crew are one of the few people who survived it somewhat intact. And the reason being is that they set you at one another's throats and do those kinds of things. Groucho Marx long before reality TV, said, I find television very educating. Every time someone turns on the set, I go into the other room and read a book. Pretty great. A quote that's been ascribed to a different Groucho, maybe Grouchy, is myself. People have quoted me with this one, where I've said, you can avoid reality, but you can't avoid the outcome of avoiding reality. It's easy to check out. It's easy to numb out. But the bottom line is we want to be engaged in our life. The whole world's become reality TV. Remember, there's nothing real about that. It is a chance to escape and also an opportunity to check out from your life. Let's not check out. We are a program here that's dedicated to the good life. It means there's challenges, setbacks, but you want to be able to be resilient, optimistic, grateful, and still pursuing. And it's about the good life. Why would you want to check out and numb out of your life? You know, we're all going to the pine box one day and all the drama ends there. So let's try to make sure we're not just in the melodrama. Let's make sure there's some real drama, some exciting stuff. Let's make sure there's some comedy. Let's make sure there's a bit of living going on. Bottom line is, save the drama for your mama.
Thanks, Brian. Great stuff. And a good reminder that reality TV isn't exactly real. It's often a way for us to escape and check out from our own reality. Tune in next time for the antidote to drama and how to learn to think for ourselves. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.